This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halos. Between being on Zoom calls all day, having to wear a mask everywhere, and now using your eyes and your eyes only to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite line of brow products that are so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, you can have the most amazing brows ever. They have an amazing range of products from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, and gels. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Annie, and you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. For this classic episode, I have invited my good friend, Samantha, who you've been hearing from, um, because we're, we're talking about beer. And you, Samantha, have some experience in this field. I do. I have the privilege of working with uh, one of the Atlanta independent breweries called Orpheus. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really been interesting to see the ins and outs of what brewing culture is, as well as the science behind it and the different like opportunities and the in-depth making. Yeah, and a funny story you and I kind of crossed paths a couple of times in our lives before we really got to know each other. But one one time, uh, it was the Atlanta Science Festival, and there was a like publicity right. photo taken of us before we before knew each other. Before we even met. Yeah. And it was Caroline with Unladylike. She's the one like, hey, you guys know each other. I'm like, yes. no, who's yes. this person? Yep. But, did, but little did I know that we would be best friends now. And then you set up um, for the other show I do, Savor, a video for uh, for us to come and shoot at Orpheus. You right. kind of helped arrange that. I did because I was like, "Oh, you want to know about beer? You want especially sour beers? I think you were talking specifically about sour beers. Right. And if you know or anyone knows about Orpheus uh, Brewing in Atlanta, that is kind of their niche. They mm-hmm. started out with being one of the first Atlanta breweries to offer sour beers as an option, as well as like barrel aged beers and. And they've been doing this for about four, a little over, almost five years now. Mm-hmm. And the chemist in there, as well as the brewer, like after talking with them, finding out the intense level that they have to do between like formulating and all the yeast and all of the cultivation, I was like, oh my gosh. And then you were like, oh, we want to do this. I'm like, well, I have the perfect people to introduce <laughs> you to. Yes, and you can find that video online should you should you want to, listeners. I do want to say, because this kind of just happened and I'm a big nerd, an Avengers trailer came out yesterday, oh, yeah. and there was a Creature Comforts beer in it. Thor was drinking Athens, Creature yes. Comforts. Athens, Georgia, mm-hmm. one of the best, I think. Actually, yeah, we just went to an event, you and I, yep. where they talked about Creature Comforts beer and kind of pairing beer and wine. That was really cool, too. That was cool. Oh, yeah. I love, I think that's been one of the best things about being a part of this culture. Just mm-hmm. kind of like at anything, coffee, wine, beer. It has its own, like, social entity. And being a part of that and to watch and learn more about the ins and outs and the minute details of beers and, and you know, becoming a beer snob myself because <laughs> now I know all about beers. That's not true. But it is really, really fascinating and being able to see also women who are not often seen 
mm-hmm. in the scene. And I know that's one of the things that is talked about in this episode, um, as well as the fact that women are begging to be seen because there are more and more coming out about the fact that women were the original brewers. That was part of their duties, and all of a sudden it became like a hobby and a specialty thing, and of course it got overtaken Yeah, again yeah. by the men. And they realized viral. they could make money off of it. Right, yep. right. And so all of that to come back to, hey, this is something that is a fascinating thing, and it should be on all gender levels. It shouldn't have to be this or that, and mm-hmm. one should not profit over that, but it can be a definitely ugly scene. And even though I love the brewery that I work with and the people are amazing, I see a very lack of women. Like, it's, it's odd how many few women are involved, mm-hmm. um, and that shouldn't be the case. But, I mean, we have a brewery, brewery here, Second Self, that has a main brewer, a woman brewer, and she is phenomenal and, and has done some great beers. And I know all around the country, more yeah. and more all-female breweries have been happening, mm-hmm. which is freaking awesome. Yeah. Hello. Because <laughs> women can be experts in beer as well. Oh, absolutely. And one thing I find very ridiculous and odd, and I know that it's been touched on before, but I want to come back to it, is the gendering of drinks. It's just so strange so to me. Weird. But in the meantime, please enjoy this classic episode. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And Caroline, first question of the podcast for you. Mm-hmm. Favorite craft beer? Oh, gosh. Oh, goodness. I know I'm putting you on the spot. You are. Even though I knew we were talking about this, I'm still on the spot. I, I really like anything out of uh, Bell's. Uh, I'm a big... I, I, I've talked about Michigan on the podcast before. I have a, a, a fondness for Michigan. and Anything out of Michigan, including Bell's beer. Caroline, I'm going to pull a copycat. <gasps> really? Bell's Two-Hearted can't go wrong. Yeah, although it'll, um, it, get, it gets you drunk, that's for sure. It is a higher gravity beer, and I, it has, <laughs> I have gotten the, the oopsie bells. Yeah, no, I, I had too many of those on my first date with my boyfriend. And hey, look, it, it worked out. It worked out. Totally worked out. Yeah, um, right now I'm all about some bells, and mm-hmm. also for a little... Atlanta hometown love, Monday Night Brewing has something called a Fu Man Brew, mm-hmm. which is a wheat beer with a bit of ginger infused into it, which mm-hmm. might sound kind of strange, but ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we also have Red Brick here in Atlanta and Sweetwater, all sorts of stuff. I don't, I don't drink that stuff. Well, I don't really drink Monday Night. I'm, I'm talking about Monday Night. Well, I listen, you <laughs> like you drink your bells. I'll dream on Monday night. Yeah, but I feel like you and I even having this conversation having opinions on craft beer is like busting stereotypes, So, Kristen. Well, that's what we're here to do, Caroline, <laughs> is bust some stereotypes, especially stereotypes about beer. And for followers of Stuff Mom Never Told You, this is probably going to be some repeat info because we have talked before about how women were the original Beer brewers or brewsters. I love that word. I had no idea that the word brewster existed for women brewers. Yeah. I love that. And then, of course, I just think about Punky Brewster. And then I start thinking about, like, do I know anyone with a surname Brewster? No. But then the brewer. And then I think about the Milwaukee Brewers. And then I just, like, go have a beer. Yeah. But, okay, so in a lot of ancient societies, women were the ones entrusted with the beer making. And, and it was it went beyond that. It wasn't just that women 
were the ones who had to do it. It was like men actively were not trusted to handle the beer. Yeah, because it was it was that important for these ancient societies. And there's this cultural anthropologist named Alan D. Eames, and he's dubbed the Indiana Jones of beer. I want to hang out with him. Yeah, that's a great title. And he was talking to McLean's magazine a few years ago about how pretty much every ancient society's beer creation myth starts with a beer goddess, essentially. Yeah, Egypt had Hathor, which uh, she sounds like exactly the type of lady I want to hang out with. She was uh, called the goddess of drunkenness, the inventress of brewing, the mistress of intoxication, and her temple was referred to as the place of drunkenness. So she had a, the, the party palace. She's like the the goddess of the fraternity system, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hathor knows how to have a good time. But I wonder, though, if Hathor ever had parties over at <laughs> the, the palace of Sumerian goddess Ceres, who was the one who watched over the daily brewing rituals. Mm. And then, so Hathor and Ceres got together and went over uh, to hang out with Roman goddess Ceres. She's the harvest goddess. And so the name for beer over there was Saravizia from Ceres' name. And we should say that Roman goddess Ceres is Ceres with a C. Right. Sumerian goddess Ceres is Ceres with an S. So it might have gotten a little confusing, especially once all the goddesses had a couple of drinks, <laughs> which Ceres they were talking about. But I'm sure they probably came up with, like, fun nicknames. Sure. So, and they, that's how they kind of worked around that. Um, and now I really want to go to this uh, fictional goddess beer party. Yeah. Um, but the ancient Finns also had their own lady beer lore. They believed that three women originally created ale for a wedding feast by mixing, wait for it, beer saliva with wild honey and then blending it into beer. So like like wild bears, like, or polar bears, any bear? Uh, I'm going to say Finnish bears. Finnish bears. Finnish bears. Hmm, I wonder, they're probably blonde. Yes. <laughs> um, in medieval England, we have the Brewsters, as we said, who oversaw household ale production. Uh, a significant number of these women tended to be widows or single before the Black Plague, and then that kind of changed demographics just a little bit. But... You know, talking about household ale production, everybody was drinking this stuff from moms to kids to dads to whoever. Yeah, because milk at the time would have been used mostly for cheese and butter. Wine, too expensive for the commoners to drink. And water was not potable. Mm, the Middle Ages sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah, so and it was not only considered uh, hydration, but also a, a nutritious Meal, yeah, you could have a little beer snack. Yeah, I wish we had a beer snack right now, Caroline. But yeah, for, for a lot of the women who were in the, or a lot of the Brewsters, a lot of the women who were in this trade, it did offer them a little bit more pay and prestige. Because if you think about the occupations that were available to women in the Middle Ages in England. It probably wasn't that great. Not, not too many. Um, but there could be wrinkles that would pop up every now and then if you were a Brewster because it could happen that you might cook up a batch of not-so-good beer. And in instances where uh, if people ever got sick from beer or they drank spoiled beer, it was attributed to witchy Brewsters. They were actually <laughs> called beer witches. That's my new insult. 
You witchy, bro- well, probably more of a term of endearment, honestly. Yeah. You witchy Brewster. You witchy Brewster. And just driving home, too, how common it was for everyone, and we mean everyone, to drink beer and ale throughout the throughout the day, just at any old time. There was something called groaning ale that pregnant women would drink to help with uh, any kind of pregnancy pains, labor pains. And there was also a special bridal ale that would often be featured at weddings. Hmm, yeah, and speaking of which, our modern word for bride, had no idea about this, comes from the Germanic root brew, meaning to brew, B-R-U. Huh, hmm, the more you know. The more you know. But I do wonder about pregnant women drinking ale. I, I am a little concerned for our ancestors, but well, we're here now, well, so. Well, you know, things, it was a different time back in the Middle Ages. Sure, and I'm sure it was not high gravity. I'm sure they were not drinking, their groaning ale was not too hearted. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, let's hope not. But I mean, if you think about the technology and advancements of the time, it was, uh, it was pretty slow. <laughs> and <laughs> Maybe in part due to all that groaning ale. Um, but it's funny, though, if you look at beer in colonial America, same kind of thing going on where it's still commonly made, usually by women in the households. And even though, uh, you know, the U.S. was like very puritanical at this time, uh, ale and beer w- were commonly drunk. And uh, this is coming from an article in The Atlantic talking about how women were the family brewers and they would make rich beers from corn, pumpkin, artichoke, oats, wheat, honey, and molasses. Interesting. Artichoke beer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. Well, if somebody out there makes it, I'll try it. It definitely sounds very earthy. <laughs> yeah, very earthy. earthy beer. This beer has artichoke undertones. But uh, this will sound familiar to listeners who listen to our coffee episode, uh, the coffee culture episode, when beer brewing moved out of the house and started to become more professionalized. That's when we see more men taking it over and women kind of leaving the industry that was growing at the time. Um, You know, back then, many women brewed only on an occasional basis and simply couldn't compete with the men who were entering it professionally. Yeah, and once beer not only started being made outside of the house, but also drunk outside of the house, uh, this is happening more towards the Industrial Revolution when you have guys working outside the home, and so they would perhaps go to a bar afterwards or on their lunch break, I don't know, uh, for a beer, and it became improper, also kind of like coffee houses, as we talked about in that coffee episode, for women to, you know, fraternize at this establishment, not so much because of the alcohol involved, but just because it would have been improper to be a woman hanging out with all these men. Like, essentially, they were assumed to be prostitutes if they were hanging out at bars. Slut-shaming. Slut, ye old slut-shaming. Yeah, and it really wasn't until prohibition that women started going frequenting bars more often um, in underground speakeasies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the whole you're getting the rise of the new woman. Yeah. Hem- hemlines are going up. Inhibitions are going down. <laughs> Along with all that bathtub gin. <laughs> mm, bathtub gin. Um, so the industry really stayed pretty male-dominated starting with the professionalization of the industry. And But we see some exceptions to the rule. We have Elise Miller-John, who headed Miller Brewing from 1938 to 1946. She was the first and so far the only woman to run a major U.S. brewing company. And I'm going to guess that since her middle name is Miller, she was probably born 
into that role and took over the company. Uh, and so this is part of why we wanted to dedicate an episode to craft beer, because not only is craft beer on the rise, as big beer has kind of taken a dip in recent years sales-wise, uh, but more and more women are being uh, attracted to making and brewing incredible, delicious, tasty. Oh, God, I want a beer so bad. Caroline. Yeah, I mean, I, it seems like it's part of this whole good food movement, this whole DIY hobby culture. It's not just dudes in their garages. There's there's plenty of women out there who are into this whole culture, too. There are women in garages as well. There, you know what? I bet I, I've been in a garage. Yes, as have I. Didn't stay in too long, but I've been in one. Um, speaking of big beer, though, uh, like I said, the sales have been slipping. They have actually dropped every year from... 2008 to 2011, and I have a feeling that those numbers have probably continued. And now there are more than 2,000 craft beer labels that have popped up, and sales were up 15% in 2011. So you see all of a sudden, you know, fewer Budweiser's and uh, Miller Lights happening and more more bells, more Monday night brewing. I'm fine with that. Yeah. I, I am hoping my biased theory is that the big beer sale. I like how we're saying big beer like big tobacco, yeah. but like big it is. Yeah, well yeah, and, and that their sales are dipping, hopefully because they're so terrible and people are finally realizing that they don't have to drink like swill water. They can actually drink tasty things. Although okay, although one Fun side note about Big Beer, Caroline. I heard on NPR mm-hmm. a couple weeks ago that the there are two standout labels that have seen exponential growth in recent years, also largely due to people who probably um, enjoy craft beers as well on occasion. Mm-hmm. And that is PBR and Yingling. Ah, uh, the hipster effect. The hipster effect. Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was I thought that was really funny and. I'll be honest, I enjoy an ice-cold PBR every now and then. Although, as I have aged, I've started to enjoy craft beer more. Yeah, no, I I don't think I can do it anymore. I mean, there was a really long period, like, from college when I was poor to after college when I was still poor, you know, to more recent times when I'm pretty much still poor, that I would just drink a lot of PBR. And yeah. that was fine because, you know, especially if it's hot outside in Atlanta in the summer and you're just, yeah. you just want to drink cheap beer and you're hanging out on the patio with friends. Like, it's that's basically fine. water. Yeah, but I have, it's been a long time and I had a PBR for the first time in a long time the other day and I was like, <laughs> I actually put it down. I was like, this is, I can't, it's gross. It was a uh, can? Yeah. Yeah, see, I can't do a can PBR anymore um unless i've had a couple of beers before that right. i can still do uh you know what it's not called a fountain a fountain beer <laughs> what is that draft. From a, a draft beer <laughs> i can i can have a fountain pbr from yeah have a little pbr float <laughs> yeah that's gross um but yeah so we, we're definitely seeing this rise of craft beer and women have been part of this craft beer renaissance since its very earliest beginnings in the 1980s. Yeah, I mean in 1983 a woman claimed the homebrewer of the year title in the National Homebrew Competition. That's impressive. Yeah. And just four years later in 1987 Carol Stout founded and still helps run Stout's Brewing Company in Adamstown, Pennsylvania. And in 1989 uh, Ellen Bounsell and her husband began McAuslin Brewery and a few years later too in 19 1989, a woman named Ellen Bounsell and her husband began the McAuslin Brewery, and she recently received this like really uh, 
huge prize like in, for her being this amazing master brewer. Mm-hmm. And the interview with her was so interesting because she talked about when she first started, it was more of her husband's idea. She had been a school teacher, did, never envisioned herself brewing beer. And she said, quote, it was kind of an old boys network. When you come out of the world of education, women have always had an instrumental role there. I wasn't really used to that form of discrimination, but it became very obvious very rapidly. So she talks about as her interest increased and she became more and more involved with the brewery. For instance, if she would go out on sales calls, people would be like, what are you doing here? Why are you a woman selling beer no yeah and that's what you read over and over again in these interviews with these women who are involved in the industry is like they show up or they're at the brewery what, whatever and people just assume they're like you know like promotional yeah. women like the Bud Light girl or whoever right. who's just there to give you necklaces and shot glasses to yeah. promote the beer yeah you know the whole stereotypical having a bit of a hard time getting taken seriously. Yeah, and for uh, for Bouncel, it was just interesting to read, too, about how once she started kind of hanging out around the brew process and got more and more involved with her husband as they were making beer, she just grew to love the process of it mm-hmm. and now is a master brewer. I would love, if I knew how to do it and I had the gumption... I don't know if I have the patience for it. Yeah, it's like because it's such a. I'm. I'm. I don't know. I've, I've. I enjoy making coffee, for instance, because I can. It'll be in my cup, and I can be drinking it in ten minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, well, in 1991, uh, we have Kim Jordan. She started the New Belgium Brewery with her then husband, and today she's still the CEO. And New Belgium happens to be the third largest craft brewery in the U.S. Yeah, if you're looking up information about women in craft brewing, Kim Jordan's name comes up over and over and over again because she's kind of held up as the like most successful woman in craft beer, especially because New Belgium has become such a popular label in recent years. Yeah, and NPR noted that she does have a lot of women in top leadership positions in her company. So it's it's a good example of women helping women. Yeah, absolutely. So why, though, aside from beer being awesome, why are women particularly attracted to craft brewing? What's going on here, Caroline? Well, one of the thoughts is that it has this emphasis on creative flavors and food pairings, as well as, like I mentioned earlier, the the DIY hobby culture. You know, like Pinterest is all the rage. So I don't know. Maybe there's some good beer recipes floating around on Pinterest. Yeah, I, I think it is part of this. We, well, we talked about it a lot in our craft revival slash Etsy mm-hmm. episode where um, and even the, the new domesticity interview that we had a while back with Emily Matcher about how there Right now, in particular, there is this appreciation for making our own goods. Yeah. And I think that beer is part of that. And also with our wine episode, there's Mm -hmm. some findings of how women are especially drawn to wine and food pairings. Like they want to, they pick something out based on what the entire meal will be. Yeah. Right. And and discussing palettes and things like that, different different flavor notes and all mm-hmm. that stuff. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. Like there there I know plenty of people, unfortunately, unfortunately for them, who think that all beer tastes the same is gross. But there I mean Especially you'll notice that if you're drinking one type of amazing beer and switch to another type of amazing beer, you can immediately tell, like, how different the flavors are. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's not even to talk about going from—that's just brand to brand. I'm, you know, I'm not even talking about type to type. 
Right. Well, and that's the, the that question of what type of beer do women like um, is a little bit insulting because mm-hmm. it is, there is the assumption that women will only want usually like a very fruity beer, like mm-hmm. a lambic or something um, like, a, I don't know, the first thing that pops into my head is like a, a beta purple haze, which is a little raspberry flavored. You just squinched your nose. I know. Well, because what's the one? I, I, I know it's obvious, but it's escaping. What's the one that tastes like blueberries? Uh, uh, um, Sweetwater Blue. Cannot drink it. Yeah. I cannot... Give me give me fruit any day in a bowl. I will eat it. Do not put fruit in my beer. Unless it's like, you know, like a wheat beer with an orange in it. But I'm talking about like I don't like flavored. Yeah, well, a lot of times stuff. they're very sweet. And um, the more that women are getting involved in craft beer and doing tastings and more research is being paid, or at least this demographic is even being acknowledged, there's now uh, this almost astonishment at the wide range of beers that different women enjoy. Mm-hmm. Like, we probably have different beer palettes because everybody probably has a slightly different beer palette. But apparently, uh, women really enjoy sours. We don't love IPAs. Oh my supposedly. God, that's IPA is like all I drink. Yeah. I, I love a good IPA. I enjoy an IPA as well. So I feel like those kinds of uh, surveys are, it should always be taken with a grain of salt because, I mean, it's just different. People are going to like different kinds of things. And even sure. the weather, the type of weather outside mm-hmm. is going to determine the kind of beer I want. And I mean, and I'm quite a novice when it comes to beer. And I was talking to my older sister who uh, knows far more about beer and wine and coffee about this. And I mentioned sours. Caroline, 20 minutes later, <laughs> she had listed off all of these different recommendations and all of these different things. And I was. What is what, what is that? What is sours? Apparently, sours. Apparently, it's. And I'm, I hope I'm not going to butcher this, but from what I understand, it's. A, it is a little bit more fruit forward, mm. but not super sweet like a lambic. Um, it is, as the name implies, a touch sour. Hmm. Yeah, and they think that it has to. That women might like it a little bit more because our. Uh, because of the differences in our taste buds, that we might detect sweet and sour mm. a little bit more, and that. Women might not enjoy IPAs as much because our bitter taste buds are also a little bit more active than men's. Yeah, see, I I will drink IPA all day long, um, but darker beers, like really, really dark beers, for some reason, and, and I'm sorry, send me hate mail. Or, or an explanation if anybody out there is a beer science nerd person. Or free beer. We'll Why do some of those dark beers taste like soy sauce? Oh, I get that. Yeah. Maybe I just have a superior sense of taste. Maybe my so. umami, my umami sense. Man, we could just I wish we had just turned this podcast into a virtual beer tasting. Um and I hope that right now listeners are thinking of the beers and the types of like in the labels that they enjoy because I am all for trying new yeah. kinds of beers. So, uh be sure to let us know the kinds that you like. But next up, we want to talk about One other reason that more and more women are being drawn into craft beer, and that's due to specific organizations that are advocating for women to brew and enjoy beer. And we're going to talk about that when we come right back from a quick break. This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever, especially when we're all apart. So recently I had a group and we had a a socially distanced 
barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And I'm with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before, that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers in traditional or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes home cooking fun, easy, and affordable. And while we're under a quarantine, I will say HelloFresh has so many recipes. It's been wonderful because it gets me out of my rut and I'm able to try new recipes instead of my same old, same old. And they offer contactless delivery to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family so you don't have to have those stressful meal planning and grocery store trips. Even better, HelloFresh's pre-portioned ingredients means there's less prep for you and less food waste. So if you're ready to try some of the delicious food from HelloFresh, go to HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off, including free shipping on your first box. That's HelloFresh.com slash MomStuff80 and use code MomStuff80 to get a total of $80 off and free shipping on your first box. Additional restrictions apply. Please visit HelloFresh.com for more details. And now back to the show. So we were just discussing pretty much ad nauseum our own personal preferences for beer and asking for suggestions. Um, But there is one major influence on more women getting involved in the craft beer industry, and that is other women being in the craft beer industry. You have people like Terry Farendorf, who started the Pink Boot Society, uh, founded in 2007. Farendorf was a brewmaster for 20 years, and she basically saw this need for more women to actually be educated about beer, enjoy beer, and start brewing their own. Yeah, the the idea for Pink Boots started when she went on a cross-country tour of all these different breweries, and she was struck with how few women she saw on the brewery floors actually making the beer. And also from her own experience as a brewmaster— having men assume that she wasn't strong enough to brew beer, didn't have the palate for it, just, like, couldn't do it by virtue of her being a woman. And, I mean, she's also just highly accomplished. She was, for instance, the first female class president in the history of the Siebel Institute of Brewing Technology in Chicago, where she went. She was the first female brewmaster in craft brewing in the U.S. and the first woman brewmaster in California and Oregon's craft brewery industries. And so she is, you know, beyond qualified to start this organization that now boasts more than 800 members. And there's plenty of other organizations and ladies-only brewing events that you can look up on the internet. I highly recommend it. Groups like Barley's Angels, which is a network uh, in several states, actually, that sets up woman-only beer nights at local bars. You can go drink, learn about what you're drinking, 
make friends, all that good stuff. There's also womenenjoyingbeer.com, uh, Eagle Rock Brewery's Women's Beer Forum, and on and on and on. Yeah, I, I feel like the more beer festivals that you see, too, the, the more uh, people you see there specifically promoting women in beer, whether it's like women-run labels or these events for inviting women to come in and try different beers in perhaps a less intimidating setting, where, you know, men might not just assume that they want some blueberry beer mm-hmm. and that's it. And nothing wrong with blueberry beer. If that's your jam, it's totally fine. Um, and uh, but it, but it's really cool to see this kind of, you know, this kind of grassroots organization happening. And a side note, if you're curious as to why Pink Boots Society is called the Pink Boots Society, um, it's because Terry Ferendorf's um, Brewing Boots are pink. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of a thing of like, yeah, we're brewing beer and we're doing it in pink boots. So that's what that means. So it's great that there are all these efforts going on to encourage more women to get involved in the industry, brew their beer, enjoy the beer, get involved, all this good stuff. But there's still so many hurdles, it seems like, for women to even drink the beer in the first place. There's all of these assumptions that beer is just a man thing. I mean, we still see ridiculous ads out there that are targeting men with just like busty broads selling their booze. And it's like, no, um, hello, there's like other women out here who would like to drink beer too. One thing that I've noticed as well in terms of the masculinization of beer, um, and, and we talked about like gendering and alcohol too in our wine episode. Like you see it all over the place. Mm-hmm. Pick a type of liquor or alcohol and it's, it's probably gendered in its advertising. Um, but one thing I've noticed is how cider is often considered more of a, a girlier drink. Mm-hmm. And But I've seen a couple of cider companies specifically with the way that they advertise using these deep male voices <laughs> and are they're trying to sell cider to a male customer mm-hmm. like it's just, it's just so clear in in the way that they're selling it like this isn't cider this is hard apple man smash or something <laughs> you know uh so it's, it's 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 kind of interesting to watch but there are companies too that are that want to acknowledge that yes, female beer beer drinkers absolutely exist. So let's cater to them. But the efforts have been mixed. For instance, Danish brewer Carlsberg tried a couple years ago to sell this what it called gender neutral malt wheat and rice lager, which sounds interesting. Actually, I'll try it. Um, but it was so clearly just targeted at women. They were saying it was gender neutral, but it was. It was very feminine. Yeah, it was in, it's in a crystal clear bottle. It's a very light lager. The, the label's white. There's like gold lettering and all the stuff. And, and it made me wonder. It actually made me wonder about all the beers I drank. I had to go through all the labels and I was like, do I consider any of them gendered labels? I don't, yeah. I don't think so. I mean, even if you look at like a Bud Light can, there's nothing about a Bud Light can that says men, right? I mean. Right. Uh, yeah, it's um it doesn't seem like the answer to getting more women to drink beer is to feminize the design perhaps maybe just remove some of the the old stereotypical, you know, bikini clad babes serving guys beers in commercials. Mm-hmm. That would probably be helpful. I mean, the fact of the matter is too, women drink less beer than guys do. Sure. We prefer wine. 52% of women, at least according to an August 2013 Gallup poll, 
52% of women prefer wine over other alcoholic beverages, whereas 53% of men prefer beer. But we are drinking more beer Mm -hmm. than ever before. Yeah. Due partially to this rise in craft beer. Yeah. I think it's nice to sort of get the craft beer word out there that there are other options. I mean, maybe there are people, both women and men, who aren't drinking beer because they think it all tastes like Miller something, 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 you know, mm-hmm. but there's there's other and better things out there. Yeah. And there was even, uh, this was so appropriate for this episode. There was one beer that was developed for, uh, to promote International Women's Day, and I wasn't able to find it, um, but there's actually a craft beer called Feminist Beer, and, huh. and, and the brand that puts it out is also escaping me. But there are, here and there are these, like, overt... Kind of, hey, ladies, listen, uh, we get you. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Try a feminist beer. Sure. Um, and I, d- I would if anybody wants to send it to me. Yeah, sure. If you've got a six-pack of feminist beer, send it our way. Um, and there was a good point put forth, though, by Serious Eats recently um, in a roundup that they were doing of, like, five things that you need to know about the craft beer industry. And they say that women have solidified their place in beer— as drinkers, brewers, lab techs, malsters, sales reps, bar owners, and home brewers, but they also continue to show up half-naked on beer labels or caught up in insulting double entendres. So it's like we've, we're making progress beer-wise, mm-hmm. but there's still that kind of implicit sexism of the assumption that it is a guy's drink, yeah. that women don't necessarily have the chops to make it, sure. that we don't really take it seriously. Right. But an encouraging sign is that one of the articles we read was pointing out that both women and younger men in general are turned off by these like stereotypically like super hyper masculine uh, men being served by busty broads with their beer. Right. I mean, turned off by that ad. Yeah, because those kinds of ads are not just insulting to women. They're also insulting to men. Sure. So maybe there's there's hope a little bit there for as far as marketing anyway. Yeah. And of all the interviews that I read of women who are um, either involved in home brewing or larger craft breweries, they acknowledge that, yeah, there is still some of this implicit sexism that they run up against of the perceptions that they might just be shot girls, mm-hmm. sort of, um, but that overall they sense that, you know, it is improving and that a lot of times it's just an exposure thing. Guys are surprised to see them because we're still a minority mm-hmm. in that industry. Sure. But now we want to hear... From you, fair listeners, what are your thoughts on women and beer? Also, just beer in general. If you have beer recommendations for Caroline and me, we heartily accept all of them. and We will probably try all of them. We're beer fans. Not everybody's a beer fan either. And that's totally fine. Um, but I encourage you to try try different beers. Support craft breweries. I mean, it's a, I think it's a cool, a cool thing that's happening. It's mm-hmm. an interesting renaissance of what. <laughs> and I am very excited about it. Yeah. And if there are any brewers listening, we would love to hear your inside perspective on uh, women in the industry. So share your beer thoughts. Brewsters, brewers, one and all. Momstuffadiscovery.com is where you can send your letters or you can tweet us at momstuffpodcast or send us a Facebook message. And we have a couple of messages to share with you. Right now. This episode is brought to you by Quip. When's the last time you got rewarded for brushing your teeth? With Quip's new Smart Electric Toothbrush, good habits can earn you great perks like free products, gift cards, and more. 
The Quip Smart Brush for adults and kids connects to the Quip app with Bluetooth. So you can track when you're brushing, get tips, you can earn points, and you can redeem those points for rewards. Already have a Quip? Upgrade it with a smart motor and keep the features you know and love. And beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine. Equal-friendly solar battery charger to power your Quip with sunshine and the refresh bag to bring you good oral care habits everywhere you go. Plus, you can get brush head, toothpaste, and floss refills delivered from $5. And shipping is free. How smart is that? Start getting rewards for brushing your teeth today and go to getquip.com slash stuffmom right now to get your first refill free. That is your first refill free at getquip.com slash stuffmom. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash stuffmom. Quip, better oral health made simple and rewarding. Gotta tell you about Best Fiends. It's the game pretty much everybody's talking about. Morgan number two plays it sometimes before we start the show. You know, it really challenges your brain with the fun puzzles, but it's also a very casual game, so it won't stress you out, which is perfect these days, right? What's great is you can use the game as a way to connect with your friends and your family, all while social distancing. The game is so much more than your average mobile puzzle game. It's five-star rated with over 100 million downloads, thousands of fun levels, and tons of characters to collect. You know, there are new in-game challenges and events every month, so the game's always fresh. You'll never be bored with it. You can even play the game without using Wi-Fi. So, here we go. You don't want to miss out on the game. Join millions of Americans and a lot of us here on the show who are already playing this fun puzzle game. Download Best Fiends for free on the Apple App Store or Google Play today. Just go over there, hit download Best Fiends for free, Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Check it out. I do think you'll like it. Friends without the R, Best Fiends. So we've got a couple of letters here about our episode. Hey, ladies, Emma writes, very interesting podcast. I actually had no idea that the word lady had a negative history, but now thanks to you, lovely ladies, I do. Interestingly, when I was five years old, my idea of being a lady was a very desirable idea. I thought ladies were beautiful, confident, and well-respected. I also liked the idea of wearing my mom's lipstick. I liked this so much that one day when my mother asked me what I wanted to be for Halloween, I responded without hesitation, a lady. I have no idea what my mother thought initially about my very confident response, but I'm happy to say that my mother did actually let me pick out my costume so that I could be the best lady in my five-year-old imagination. I dressed up in what I think was a Cinderella nightgown, pink leggings, and smothered my face in face paint close to what I imagined makeup should look like on a pretty lady. Long story short, I ended up being rolled around our local grocery store in a wagon, dressed as a lady, throwing out chocolate loonies to unsuspecting shoppers while yelling, Happy Halloween from the ladies! That might be the most adorable thing I've ever heard. Yeah, we just had to take a laugh break on that one. She she signs off, I guess I was a bit of a strange kid. <laughs> oh, Emma, no stranger than Caroline and me, I assure you. I still put on my pink leggings under my Cinderella nightgowns. Do you want me to pull you in a wagon through, through a grocery store? As long as you give me chocolate, I'm fine. Okay. Uh, This is from Sarah. She says, I'm American, but have grown up in the UK and spent my middle and high school years at a school called Harrogate Ladies College. No, we didn't have to balance books on our heads or have daily tea parties, but we did go to chapel four times a week and had to wear 15-pound floor-length woolen cloaks while doing so. 
I tried to think of how often we were actually referred to collectively as ladies, but we were more commonly referred to as girls, both by teachers when addressing us as a group and when referring to certain sets of people. Students who didn't board were called day girls. Students who had graduated and came back to visit were old girls, even if they happened to be in their 50s or 60s at the time. I love the podcast. Keep up the good work, female humans. And thank you for the letter female listener Sarah and thanks to all us listeners male and female who have written into us momstuffdiscovery.com is where you can send us your letters or you can connect to us via social all of which you can find in addition to our blogs, podcasts and videos, every single one of them at stuffmomnevertoldyou.com For more on this and thousands of other topics visit howstuffworks.com Hi, I'm Allie Wentworth. How do I grow a teenager in a pandemic? Well, that's exactly what I want to find out. In my new podcast, Go Ask Allie, I'm asking experts to help me answer that question. For example, are quarantine teenage girls more apt to Instagram nude photos? Are they somehow going to end up on the dark web? Are teenagers getting ripped off by their new virtual education? And how do we deal with their overwhelming anxiety and uncertainty? And are they losing empathy? I'll be talking to experts and friends like my friend Brooke Shields. She'll reveal how her complicated sexual upbringing has influenced how she is as a mother to teenage girls. It's a new world, and how we raise these young humans in it determine our future. So let's share some real experiences with all new episodes releasing every other Thursday. Listen to Go Ask Allie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality, at our inability to get basic things done, at the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.